Welcome everyone to the Learn Fresh podcast. My name is Nick Monzi, CEO and co-founder of Learn Fresh, and I'm joined by Calvin Seibert, our chief academic officer, my co-host, and affectionately and appropriately nicknamed the game changer of education. Changing the game. We're joined today by two of our friends from across the globe, Cam McCloyd of The Huddle and Emma Carney of the North Melbourne Football Club in Melbourne, Australia. Cam is CEO of The Huddle, and Emma serves as both star player and captain for North Melbourne's women's team, and as head of education and careers at The Huddle. She also won the AFL's Best and Fairest Award in 2018, aka League MVP. As Cam will tell us later, North Melbourne is one of the oldest clubs in the Australian Football League. For those who are unfamiliar, we're talking about Australian rules football. The sport is similar to rugby and one of the most popular sports in Australia. Yeah, to give you a sense of how popular the sport is in Australia, the average attendance for men's AFL games during the 2019 season was over 35,000. By comparison, average attendance during the 2019-20 NBA season was barely half that, under 18,000. The nature of the Learn Fresh mission leads us into the sport for development sector, which includes organizations and individuals using sport, physical activity, and play to attain specific development and peace objectives, ranging from education to health to conflict resolution. Sport has always been a unique vehicle for education, character and leadership development, social emotional learning, and stats and data provide a platform for exciting learning opportunities. As professional sports have transformed into international brands, certain players and teams have become recognizable to kids across the globe, and the NBA is a perfect example. As basketball has grown in popularity, the Logo Man and LeBron James have become internationally recognized symbols, offering a unique opportunity to leverage the NBA Matthews program model overseas. We've been working with Cam, Emma, and their team on an NBA Math Hoops pilot program in Melbourne starting in 2021, and we're so excited about the relationship that our two organizations have developed. Their work is incredibly aligned with our mission particularly around students' personal and character development. And we're here today to talk a little bit about their organization's experience with COVID-19 and to talk more generally about their approach to students' personal, social, and character development. Thanks, Coach Calvin. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. We're really looking forward to building on those discussions that we've been having there for the last 12 months to introduce Maths Hoops across Australia and get young people excited about learning in their classroom and hopefully at home as well through the power of sport. So I'm the CEO of The Huddle. The Huddle is the community arm of the North Melbourne Football Club. The North Melbourne Footy Club is one of 18 professional clubs associated with the Australian Football League, which is the biggest participation sport in the country. And we came about because of, I think of a crisis actually. Um, Most sports are there to win um, we're 151 years old this year, making us one of the oldest sporting clubs in the world. But we've only won four trophies. We've only got four big trophies in our cabinets. And in comparison to a lot of the other professional clubs, we've got a lower membership base. In the 90s, when we were successful, we won two premierships in 96 and 99. If you went and spent some time in the local schools and you asked those kids, who do you support in our own backyard? not many of those kids actually followed us. So I think that we were actually disengaged from our community despite being winners on the ground. And um, it was, a, it was a, an opportunity for us to rethink our model. We were almost relocated to the Gold Coast, which is in Queensland, some 
I think two and a half, three thousand kilometres north of where we are. We're about to be relocated and a new franchise to be set up. Thankfully, our passionate supporters said, no, we've got to keep north-south. And from that, the huddle was created. And the huddle leverages the power of sport to engage young people from all different cultures and backgrounds to inspire their brighter futures with a strong focus on education and attainment and then leveraging that power of sport to consider what the employment pathways may be for jobs of the future. So as the CEO of, of the huddle, we've got an enormous opportunity and a responsibility to work with all sports, not just the Australian football teams um, and North Melbourne Football Club. So we have an opportunity to think a little differently from others and work with others that have the similar vision and values to us to connect those young people in the places where they live, learn, work, worship and play. Yeah, so I'm the Head of Education and Careers at The Huddle and essentially what my role is is to uh, facilitate education sessions within schools in our local community. Um, A lot of the work that I do is a program called True North which is um, about 10 workshops focusing on grit, mindset, values, connections emotional intelligence, things like that. So I guess for me, I was a teacher for, for six years. Education is so important for young people. And for me, passion in, in sport, but also uh, working with young people. And I think for me, sport always gave me that sense of belonging. It, it, it um, provided me with an avenue to sort of keep out of trouble or, you know, to make friends. And for me, um, if I didn't have sport, I probably just would have, would have struggled to fit in. So um, I guess that's where my passion really lies and, and I you know, thoroughly enjoy working with the community and working with young people and just seeing the smiles on the faces that the work that we do can bring to them, but more importantly, just what sport and, and introducing them to new people can bring to their lives. I should add there too, Calvin, that... Emma's also the captain of our women's footy side. She's very humble and very modest, but she's a, a wonderful leader both on and off the field for our club. To the top of the square. Could take the mark. Emma Carney gets the crumb and another finish. Emma Carney, the star, gets on the scoreboard for her first. Emma, I love the fact that you are an athlete, a lead athlete and a successful athlete in the country, and you're also... contributing very directly in a tangible way to this in-community work. It's an incredible example that we should be sharing here with our athletes as well. I mean, so many of them have engaged off the field over the past few years in different social causes. And certainly we've seen an uptick with that in American professional sports leagues. But the fact that you're kind of in the mechanics of the work is such an inspiration. I'd love if you could... Maybe start with Cam and then Emma, if you want to add some color to this as well. Just talk a little bit about the Huddle's position as a nationally focused organization. One of the things that I found so fascinating when we first met and started talking, Cam, is just the fact that the Huddle is the arm of the North Melbourne Football Club, but it is an organization that has aspirations to support students across Australia. And when you think about that in the context of American professional sports, Generally, teams, community arms are working in a local area, a city, a region, um, a state, maybe, uh, and that's about it. But you know, the, the the breadth of your aspiration across the country, I think, is really interesting. And just talk a little bit about how that's developed or where that's come from. 
Sure. So the huddle is now 10 years old. We celebrated our birthday this year. It was only a couple of weeks ago, actually. And we have, I think, um, seen the potential of, again, partnering with other elite sports clubs, national sporting organisations, with a view that we can actually help support their understanding of working with young people. We can actually build their capacity to deliver educational content in the way that also benefits their organisations, both, I think, commercially and from a, a social justice position. But there's also, I think, a, a, a real sense of not everyone's going to break for our club. Um, our our organisation is not set up necessarily to grow membership, which is a, a, a core part of, I think, of a lot of sporting uh, clubs' reason as to why they create community engagement departments. Our work goes beyond that. I think there's a, a unique role that we have demonstrated over the past 10 years that not only can we engage to build trust, I think that's a really important part of what we're trying to establish here. Uh, and, and this year we saw the, the, the significance of that trust, particularly with COVID and young people learning in their own homes. Um, it was an opportunity we felt to, to do things a little bit differently and to educate people about how, how the possibilities may, may also strengthen their strategic objectives. Taking that forward, now working with professional sports across other codes, it, it, it creates awareness, I think, of the true magnitude that sport can have in our societies. No longer is sport just simply seen as a vehicle to win. It's seen as a vehicle where we can actually shift attitudes and behaviours, where we can create safe and inclusive environments for people of all different backgrounds, regardless of their gender, their culture, their sexual orientation, their age or their ability. So I think Australia is catching up to other parts of the world. I know the US and the UK have been incredibly uh, strategic and visionary about the, the influence of sport. But if you even think just about the Olympics, um, there's some incredible moments of, I'd say, partnerships and collaboration where it's not just simply about winning, it's about us. It's not about me or you, it's about togetherness. And I think Em touched on a really great point before about that belonging. So our, our purpose really is about um, inspiring those young people to educate themselves, but to also push themselves forward to, to be the things that they want to be and to learn to grow. And that sense of belonging is really at the heart of what we do. So I think if we can share our learnings, our knowledge, our skills, our networks with other sports, I think our communities are going to be far stronger than simply doing it on our own. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's, it's again, I think it's a super powerful model to look at the issue as a, a issue that impacts more than just your community and think about the ways that you can support and share learnings. Emma, do you have any perspectives on that thought um, as it relates to the national focus of your work on the community side and maybe how that impacts your approach on the field as an athlete or like what does that mean to you as an athlete? Any thoughts about that? Oh, I guess my main thought is the, the I guess the statistics of mental illness within, I suppose, worldwide, but also it's quite significant in Australia as well. And it's probably um, increased the rate of mental illness um, as a result of COVID. So I think the work that we're doing um, to teach, you know, young people about resilience, uh, teaching them about self-care and, and ways that they can help regulate their emotions is incredibly important. And that's that's not just the, the people who we work with in our local community, that's, that's nationwide. So if we can um, help support 
more young people in in Australia. I think um, that's super important. So a couple of years ago, there was a lot of media speculation and I'd say sensationalisation around African gangs in in our community. And it's not too dissimilar, I think, to to any other young person. It's feeling a sense of purpose and connections and and belonging. And I think what's happened is the media has actually stigmatised and stereotyped a segment of our community that has actually then created this sense of fear. Now, in that these young people are feeling isolated and disengaged from their own communities. We've got a, a, I think one of the things that makes Australia really unique is that we've got such a strong multicultural uh, community. 50% of the people in Australia are born overseas or have a parent uh, from, from an overseas country. Now, when the media actually portrays a segment of our community as being troublesome, violent, um, you know, they become disengaged and isolated. We had a part of our state government come to us and say, can you please fix this problem? And I came away and had a good chat with them and a couple of other players and we said, how can we actually take a step back from this and think this more through holistically? It's not about trying to find a person to mentor another person through. This is actually an opportunity, I think, for young people to learn from each other. I think we overlook the fact that many of our sports people, when they come to the the club or the team or the franchise that they're involved with, they're actually also young people. Um, so we've just recruited on the back of the Australian Football League draft um, seven young people who have just joined our club for the very first time straight out of high school. They're thrust into this limelight and this spotlight that they have to become a role model. And I think there's an association that they can you know, help support these other people from disadvantaged backgrounds. So speaking with, it, with them, it was how can we actually learn together and then by doing so grow together? So really True North came out of a conversation that we were having with government to say, how can, how, how can, how can we actually shine a light on the values that we all ex- should have? Many of us probably aren't even aware of what those values are. Taking the perspective of our history, our journeys, what can we learn from each other and what can we then take forward so that we can create a sense of belonging for all? So... True North is an exciting opportunity, I think, that has global appeal and M has done an incredible job in leading that and scaling that across Australia throughout this period. It's just to give people context, so True North's made up of 10 different little workshops. We've added a two more that we'll introduce next year. But they range from, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, values, connections, grit, mindset, emotional intelligence, my leadership understanding others. It's incredibly flexible, the program that we we offer. The biggest impact that we've been able to see in our program is an increase in confidence in young people and whether that's increasing confidence via getting into group discussions and and sharing stories about themselves or others, Um, increased understanding of others. The other other big one is, you know, understanding and, and having that positive growth mindset to try to overcome challenges. Let's take a step back now just to talk a little bit about the COVID experience in Melbourne and Victoria and Australia. Um, And I'll come back to you for Emma first on this one. Uh, I know that A, the experience in Melbourne has looked different and Victoria as a state has looked different than the rest of the country. 
as it relates to COVID. And then I know that the Australian experience with COVID has looked very different than the American experience with COVID, probably for the better. Um, can you just talk a little bit about what this past year has looked like for your city and your country as a whole? What has that experience been, just to put those of us who are not there in your shoes a little bit, and then share a bit of context about how you've perceived that impact to have shifted or altered the education sector specifically in any way? Yeah, it's uh, it's been an unusual year. Um, so I suppose, in I think it was in March, uh, we pretty much got told to work indefinitely from home. So many people in Australia lost their jobs. Um, schools were put into remote learning, so students weren't attending school. Um, they had to do it all from, from home. We were really fortunate at the huddle that we were able to still work. And I guess the first, well, I reckon the first month, it was really challenging to sort of navigate what our work was going to look like because for most of us, our programs were all face-to-face and obviously that's that's how we engage our young people was mostly through sport or through the True North program where I was delivering in schools. So I guess we, we just had to find ways to engage and, and for, for me and my the work that I did, I had to slightly make modifications to the True North program so it could be delivered at um, online and, and it could be done for students who are at home um, and so it was pretty effective I, th- I thought in in the way that we were still able to engage and you know students expressed how much they they loved the programs um, they found that for, for a majority of the students they found remote learning really challenging but what they said was the programs that we delivered, particularly um, True North Online, was really engaging, something that they loved doing. And as a result, they were able to have a lot of connections with their classmates that they traditionally wouldn't probably have had um, during that remote learning phase. So, yeah, look, in an ideal situation, we would have loved to have done face-to-face. But I think the work that the team's been able to achieve throughout this lockdown period has been quite significant and I think we've had over six six thousand participants throughout 2020 so being online it actually helped broaden our reach a little bit um, because traditionally it would have been a little bit difficult to go from you know um, different schools but when you're all online you can sort of jump from zoom meeting to zoom meeting and um, have that interaction with with people so um, that's been a positive I guess you could take out of 2020. Absolutely. And it, it, the shifts and the changes that you've had to make resonate a lot with us. We had to do very similar things in terms of pivoting and adjusting our program strategy and bringing things online. Um, and I think that's been one of the most unique parts of this year is that in many ways, it's been such a global experience. Folks all over the world have been grappling with these same challenges and figuring out how to adjust. And I think there's a lot of power in that. Obviously, a tremendous amount of tragedy from this situation, but a lot of power in the the unifying aspect of that piece. Uh, Cam, do you want to add any color, particularly around like the societal shifts and just, you know, I know that in in Melbourne, you 
kind of moved in and out of lockdown back and forth and just any impact that that has seemingly had on the education sector? Yeah, well, because we work with such diverse communities, I think it really uh, created a greater awareness of the digital divide. So in, in Melbourne, as an example, as Em touched on, a lot of the students from, I think it would have been, yeah, almost immediately from March, straight into the home. Many of the families that we work with have multiple children, as many as um, five to, to eight young young people living in, in one home. And those homes, are, many of them are, are small homes. So you can imagine the challenges of, of doing remote learning with, with many different people in the room also trying to do the same. Um, there was a scarcity of, of, of digital devices that were available for these children to continue to learn from home. The government in, in Victoria, they allocated as many devices as they possibly could, but there was still a massive shortage. So we worked really closely with um, corporate and philanthropy to purchase new laptops and actually put them into the homes of students that need them the most, particularly those that are actually at the upper end of high school that needed those devices to continue to hopefully um, you know, maintain pace with their studies and, and hopefully put them in a position come end of the year to, to excel in their exams. Uh, I think I, I live, I live with, with a teacher. My wife's a teacher. She's a primary school teacher. And I saw firsthand the extraordinary skill set that they have in not only helping our children, we've got three young kids, all of which are primary school age, to navigate their day, but then also to, to, to hold a classroom full of uh, students' attention and keep their growth mindset uh, ticking over. Personally, I found it really hard. Uh, I love to interact with people on a daily basis and I felt, I felt firsthand the struggles, I think, of some of that uh, fatigue, but also I had this sense of anxiety throughout the, the, the period of the last nine months. I, I would actually find it quite confronting and challenging to actually sit in front of a, a Zoom call like this because I didn't have that, that interaction. I couldn't see people's body language. It was hard to actually feed off the dynamics of the room. So if anything that came out of this, I could actually empathise with people who perhaps also find that difficult in a social setting. So, you know, that's, a, that's a, an opportunity that I've seen throughout the course of this year. But we're now starting to, to get back into the swing of it. We've had the hardest lockdown measurements in the world. Uh, we've reduced that now down to zero community cases in Melbourne, and that's looking really consistent across Australia. So now we feel like we've got some greater flexibilities. Um, I don't think we're gonna. I don't think we're gonna take what we've done the last twelve months and actually put that on the shelf. It's now an opportunity for us to think: How do we do both, the face to face, and also the online opportunities, so that we can create meaningful engagement opportunities in the places where people live and learn and work. But also too, you know, that's an opportunity I think for others to experiment and, and, and innovate. And that's something that we're really looking forward to exploring with LearnFresh, with the great work that you've been doing in transferring your work that's been in a physical you know, environment to the online opportunities that exist. Because that I think gives people greater scope to engage in educational curriculum at a time that they need it the most. And I think that's really exciting as we move forward. It's not just the school classroom, it's even the after hours part that can also create opportunities for people to feel connected uh, in in all of their places of uh, of engagement. It's great. Yeah, and, and there's so much resonance there with just the the way in which 
teachers and students in Australia have had to grapple with similar issues to here. The digital divide piece is super relevant. And I think folks, if you're listening to this and thinking about the way that you know, the American education system had to respond to the, the crisis initially and then address that gap, like this is something that's happening in other parts of the world too in a very, very identical way, which I think is so interesting. And it's great to hear you all talking and thinking about the ability to save kind of both pieces of what existed before and what we've been able to accomplish now and move forward with them in tandem. We've been considering that for our programming in ways which we can do events both in person, which has so much power for student connection and educator connection and remotely to make sure that we can continue attending to scale and making sure that as many folks have access to our work as possible. And I, I think the silver lining of this year, which is been teased out in other conversations that we had is just the opportunity to step back, rethink, innovate, and then move forward with a combination of new approaches, a combination of approaches old and new, I guess is the best way to put it. I think one of the one of the real challenges has been because of that isolation factor that you know young people have have felt really alone and a, an example of this is in Melbourne in July our premier announced that nine housing towers would go into a hard lockdown uh, there's 3000 residents um, all of which typically are from a low socioeconomic community they're forced into their homes for an extended period of time without really much knowledge around why and, and what impacts this may have on them. We saw firsthand there that there was a sense of disconnection between communities, which created a sense of fear. And that sense of fear then creates anxieties. Um, there is people that are taking their own lives as, as an outcome of this. Um, but at the heart of all this, it really came back down to, I think, is that identity piece. And we had a lot of families, you know, questioning, you know, why, why me? Is it because I'm from this culture or I follow this religion? Of course, that's not the case. But there was a misperception and, and I, I think there was a, a missed opportunity to engage communities in how do, we, how do we support them in a crisis? And I think the outcome of all of that um, was about partnerships actually coming together and recognising that no single one individual or organisation can actually help these 3,000 residents who are locked in their homes whilst they get COVID tested? How do those students actually get the, the resources to educate? Um, how are they getting food put on their table that is culturally appropriate through to the medical supplies that they might need for, for families that have older people and, and also infants? So such a really complex environment to work in in such a short period of time. And there was a disconnection and probably a mistrust of authorities and young people in our communities. Um, 500 police rolled up on the foot of these night towers to basically instruct the people to stay in their home. That was reminiscent, I think, for a lot of those people living in those homes of fleeing their homes because of war. And to see those authority figures basically instructing them that they have no freedom. And so... There was a lot of, lot of work to be done in a short period of time about building trust and relationships, I think, particularly between young people and authorities. What I'm most pleased about is that there was a place for those young people to form the outcomes 
you know, through their, through their own experiences and through their own journey. And so to have a group of young people that we somewhat coached to actually take responsibility for the food supply of some of these, these families, to then be essentially given responsibility by the authorities, including the government, to take ownership of feeding and supporting these 3,000 residents within five days, goes to the heart, I think, of what is community. And I think the opportunity that young people have to amplify their ideas and to actually be part of the solutions to these issues and all crises. I think that that's a, a silver lining, in your words, Nick, to come out the other end of this and actually see the power of a young person's voice to actually be part of the creativity, um, to problem solve, but to also influence without authority. That's something that I think that we've really learnt about in the last 12 months. Again, it's part of our model, but it's really affirming to see that in action, that young people have incredible talents and ideas and aspirations is how we tap into that to give them a space to inform the future. And at the heart of that is education, right? And I think at the heart of that is identity. If they feel as an equal at the decision-making table, then I think we're going to have stronger communities and by doing so, we're going to have stronger outcomes for people of all ages and abilities. Absolutely. Emma, any color that you want to add to that first around just the mental health aspects and impacts of the current moment and then um, what are opportunities to help support that development for students moving forward? Yeah, well, I mean, unfortunately, there's been an increase in number of young people reporting poor mental health, and that's a direct result of the pandemic. I guess because I work mostly in schools, there's been a larger rate of disengagement. Um, lot, a lot struggled with remote learning and, and found it really challenging. So I guess for us, uh, we worked with one particular school actually who um, had a number of students who uh, weren't engaging in remote learning at all. And so we, we started this, the, the True North program with those students. And that was the first time that they engaged in any education um, since the lockdown. So um, for, for those students to then engage with our programs um, was a really big win for us, but more importantly for them. Um, and the, the confidence that they were able to, to get, the connection piece, which is incredibly important for, for young people or just people in general during this lockdown, um, was really crucial for, for them. Um, so I guess for us, we're working really closely with schools to um, you know, help, help with their mental health. So that centres around you know, the grit, the mindset. Um, we've got a new workshop called Pursuit of Happiness. So that's looking at strategies to actually help um, you know, you know, what makes you actually happy. So, um, yeah, I think for, for us, we're looking to engage in as many schools as, as we possibly can, um, connect with young people, whether it be online or face-to-face, um, just so they've got that social connection again. So what has been the most uh, gratifying aspect of your organization's response during this COVID challenge here? Uh, thanks, Calvin. I think that the ability to work together. I think sports are notorious at winning. You know, that, I mean, that's what they're set up to get. They're geared towards winning, right? And they very rarely actually share any 
secrets to actually advance um, anything else other than their own self um, needs. What I've seen here is that sport is a, a partner in a much bigger ecosystem that has to work really closely with a whole range of other key groups, including corporate and government, philanthropy, community, and of course, a young person at the center of all of that. So what's been really gratifying, I think, is that there's been a, a subtle but important shift in, in attitudes and behaviors around partnerships. I think in the past, partnerships have been viewed simply as a transactional piece, much of which has been associated with funding. We've seen a much greater shift towards, well, how can I share my scarce resources to actually contribute to a higher purpose? And we see that on a daily basis as it relates to supporting people who need food through to those that need mental health uh, support, drug and alcohol counselling, or even just homes. So there's a whole range of partners that need to be part of that process of both planning and delivering. And I think sport has certainly seen itself as a, as a key player, but not the only player in the, in, in, in the yard. It's, it's recognising your strengths and limitations. And then actually once, once that conversation is taking shape, it's committing to those resources to actually make uh, greater impacts than simply just trying to, I suppose, have people come along and enjoy their game. It's a more deep and committed contribution to community, which is shifting, I think, from engagement to development. So I think um, collaboration is the key. Um, and I think this has provided us with an opportunity of changing our mindset and actually really, truly thinking about who our partners are. So we're kind of getting away from the uh, winning or losing. You know, as, as a kid, I remember always wanting to just win the game. And uh, my father had to explain that to me, <laughs> you know, even if you're the best player on the team, it's not necessarily about winning every game. Um, you know, I had kids on my team that weren't so good, um, you know, playing the actual sport. And, and I had to understand, like, how to still be cool with them and how to give them a break if they drop the ball and I throw it to them and things like that. So I feel like as a whole, we're we are are more focusing on the character of our students, which will carry them into this, you know, this, this global society that they have to compete in. So you really hit it on the nose, um, you know, with that one there. <laughs> so uh, Emma, same question for you. Uh, you know, what has been the most gratifying aspect of your organization's uh, response to this COVID challenge? Oh, I, th I think the, the best outcome for us is we've been able to engage over 6,000 young people throughout this period. And that's a combination of online stuff. Um, we do like surf trips as well in our school holiday programs. So it's a combination of that. And a lot of our programs, yes, it does have educational and employment outcomes, but it also has um, outcomes to focus on positive mental health. And I guess for some of the work that, that I've done, it's, it's about setting challenges. So in a lot of the workshops, um, you know, I'm getting students to learn how to juggle or um, learn how to do origami. And, you know, initially they, they really struggle and they go, oh, you know, I can't, I can't do this. But then it's about trying to shift that mindset and not necessarily look at, oh, have you actually succeeded in that challenge? But it's actually looking to see the improvement that you've had. And I think for, for a lot of young people or people in general, probably, they're looking at, have I succeeded? And that's a, it's, you know, it's, that's how they think it, it's so simple like that. But it's not necessarily about that. 
it's it's looking for those improvements. It's looking for different strategies to help with with your learning. Um, and I guess as well with some of the the True North program, it's it's about looking at ways to help regulate emotions, particularly when you're stressed or overwhelmed. And I've had um, reporting back from students that said that they've actually started using some of those strategies. So started using a lot of mindset, um, you know, have done like puzzles or um, breathing techniques to help regulate those emotions. And um, they've actually then got their, their siblings, younger siblings to do the same. And they've actually really enjoyed that. So hearing those anecdotes anecdotal um, sort of things from the young people that we work with um, has certainly brought a smile to my fa uh, face and um, I guess shows you the importance of the program that we're delivering. Awesome. Well, thank you both, Cam, Emma. It's been a pleasure spending time with you today to just talk a little bit more about your work, how it's developed, how it's shifted and impacted this, the communities that you're working in during COVID. Uh, we're super thankful for our partnership with you. We're super excited to bring our work to Australia and hopefully do the same, bring some of the great work that you're doing over here to the United States. Thanks again for joining us today. And I hope this conversation has been illuminating for folks who listen. The Learn Fresh podcast is produced by our very own Nick Monzi and Sumner Becker with additional production assistance from Caitlin Woodward. Sumner Becker also does our engineering, editing, and music. The Learn Fresh podcast is part of the Side Audio Network, an audio community founded by Jeremiah Ote and Naranjan Kumar. Shout out to Jeremiah of the Learn Fresh family. <laughs> the Side Audio Network hosts podcasts that aim to transfer trust between people and communities through storytelling and conversation.